Okay. Um, we only talked for about a minute before this. Um, this is Idiot Mystic, and I'm with Elaine Melindo. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Heather. Uh, also, I have to reveal this to everyone. You're not in a coffee shop. <laughs> Correct. I, I actually thought you were. I had my mind blown. I'm wondering how many other people aren't where they say they are. But I mean, what now? I'm, there's one person who has like a like the backdrop looks like a classroom in Hogwarts, but then there's a beam of light that hits him. So obviously, it's not simulated, but it looks a little. I'm questioning it now. And I I did this with a lot of intention. So I like went to. This is a coffee shop that's two blocks from my home. So even though I um. I don't want people to technically know I'm in my house only because it's so messy. Uh, I wanted them to at least get a sense of I was in my community. So I poured through photos and this one had the best perspective. Um, yeah. And a lot of people ask me that. And I think it's so funny because I could be on a Zoom and it could be 120 degrees outside and people still think that I've chosen to go and have a meeting outdoors. So it's people do crazy things in Arizona in the in the weather um so I was I already thought of a question to ask you but before we start I guess I want to introduce you as like in the capacity that I met you in but I'm realizing that you do so much more than that that I feel like saying that thing ends up it makes no sense yeah. So if you had to tell the the audience or anyone listening, what if someone is like, oh, what do you do? Like, who are you? Yeah, that's a hard question. And and that's uh, one of the things that I was curious about when you invited me on. It's like I had to stop and think like, what? What am I an expert in? Or what is it about my life that is interesting enough that somebody wants to talk to me about it? <laughs> So I, you're right. I do a lot of things. Um, my occupation is I am a professional development facilitator for um, people that work within the early childhood education system here in Arizona. So um, I teach other adults how to work with other adults, mainly teachers and educators on the behalf of children. So we can get out there and uh, support educators in understanding some of these concepts that will improve the experiences of little ones, then, um, then hopefully we'll have better outcomes um, just for our country in general. So that's what I do in the daytime. Um, and then most evenings, uh, I shut my computer and then I run to the gym and I teach dance fitness. And so that is how we met really is in the fitness and wellness uh, industry. And so I, um, I teach a, a format called Mixed Fit. I am a, um, I'm a leader in that, meaning I'm what's called a master educator. So my job is again, to support and develop adults uh, to be able to be better instructors. Um, I'm, I guess my, my passion right now is doula work. I recently 
um, gone through a certification for full spectrum, uh, to be a full spectrum doula specifically for the indigenous population. Um, and my passion, especially in that is postpartum. So I'm uh, still working within the realm of families where I would like to be able to be in the home after the, the baby is born and support mom in in healing in her own wellness. And then also just kind of uh, understanding her new little human that's there in her house. And um, I think that my, uh, my knowledge set from my day job uh, in early childhood education and families uh, is where that comes in. Uh, I do a lot of other things in my spare time. I'm just such um, an advocate for mutual aid. I feel like we cannot exist as a society without going back to old ways. And so when I am not working, I'm usually volunteering or fundraising or trying to kind of expose people to some of the social issues that we have going on, especially in Arizona. Um, I'm very passionate about Arizona because I'm indigenous. My people have been in this area since the dawn of time. So I'm very protective of it. So I want to focus on my energy here and stay here for the rest of my life. Um, and, and a lot of other things. <laughs> just uh, who are your people since you phrased it that way? Yeah, um, my father is enrolled in uh, the Chemuevi tribe. And so they are a, a small tribe that is uh, in the areas of like the Colorado River, California and Arizona, like on either sides of, of the water there. And so we have a reservation in Parker that we share with three other, uh, three other tribes and three other nations. Um, and that is the, um, that is the tribe that, that we identify with because my father is enrolled in, um, but my family comes from this area. Like my mother's side is indigenous to the, the area we know as Mexico. And so many other, uh, many other tribal affiliations in, in my bloodline. So I guess when you, when you're talking about doula work, it seems like I guess this, this is kind of the main reason or the reason I wanted you on the podcast is we talked a lot about uh, in this short conversations we've had, it's always turned to um, indigenous traditions and um, I say this word too much lately, colonization and decolonization. And I guess I'm... I'm wondering, do, why are you, this is going to sound weird, why are you so nice? Like, <laughs> why, why, what is the, like, say you have your job during the day, and of course, I'm sure you get in bad moods, and maybe you stub your toe, and maybe something happens, etc. I get that. But what is the, is there a spiritual motivation for doing volunteer work and charity work? Or, like, were you raised? to do this? Uh, uh, both and. Um, my parents raised me uh, in the Catholic religion. So they raised me to be 
a good person and to do good for other people. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's the driving force to, uh, I guess my, my niceness. I haven't always been so nice. I think like as a teenager and a young adult, like I was still very, I'd have still a very colonized mind. And so I, 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 I don't think that that phase of my life, I, you would say that I was as kind as I am now, but I, I don't consider myself to be that kind, but thank you. And, and I think the reason for that is because now I'm in a place in my life where I understand that every being on the planet has a right to feel safe, a right to like fulfill whatever it is their destiny is. And I shouldn't get in the way of that. And if I have the means to be able to support them through that, then that kind of is my obligation as a human. Even though, um, you know, I am a person of color, like I still, I still acknowledge that I have a lot of intersectionality and that I do have privileges that maybe another uh, indigenous or person of color does not have. And so then I can use that privilege to leverage. And so with mutual aid, I, I have a lot of success with that, a lot of success with fundraising and things of that sort. And I think that it's because of my privilege where I'm at um, and just my work life and where I'm at in my level of education and my ability to kind of acculturate and, you know, uh, find my way inside mainstream society that people will listen to me and send me money. So I need to use that to my benefit to be able to help people that maybe aren't, um, aren't able to do that so easily. So yeah, metaphysically, I, I really, I genuinely have a love for every being and I, truly believe that we are all just doing our best trying to navigate this existence and even people that might um to others seem like they are just intentionally causing harm or you know intentionally being deviant that they too are just trying their best with the tools that they have available to them in this life so that's where kindness comes from for me so so uh, it's good that you made it obviously you said you've not always been this nice so it's okay we've established the gradual like your your arc like so you it was a gradual turn but was it just through practical experience like through experiencing more and more life you realized this or did some major thing happen that shifted your worldview into such like it seems to be I guess this is like I use the word lofty or like macro scale thinking or whatever, but a lot of people don't think that they affect the world at large or the world at large matters to them. So they think within their immediate like social circle and then I guess the digital whatever's on their Instagram feed. Um, I was going to say TikTok, but I was like, does i don't know i'm I didn't too know old for point. tiktok i'm instagram is yeah that's the extent so i think it was probably a gradual thing really um 
I can't remember like um, a major epiphany in my life where I understood this, but I think it goes back to um, decolonizing myself. So I have to backtrack a little more. Um, and I grew up in Yuma, so on the border. And we really, it's a very unique town because it is small and a couple of times a year, like the population just doubles or triples. I'm not sure about the math of what that looks like, but uh, we have migrant farm workers come in and do a lot of the work in, um, in our agriculture. We also have a lot of winter visitors come to get away from the cold. And so uh, that's where I grew up and my parents, my dad was the, um, like the sole breadwinner in our family. My mom stayed home and took care of us and took care of like some of my other family members and things for extra income, but also to, to just help out. And I got raised really through the lens of like, yes, we are people of color. Yes, we, you know, have these um, identities, but you will be more successful if you blend into just being a, a good American, being a good American and a good and a good Catholic person. Um, so I was in private school, um, you know, raised with a lot of religiosity, raised with kind of just, you know, a, a lot of the like American social norms. So I didn't learn to speak Spanish. Both my parents speak Spanish. Um, and I, I mostly was drawn to white culture. And so I, um, I immersed myself in that and I, I realized that I got a lot of, of praise for, for doing those things well. And so then I got into high school, made sure to surround myself with mostly white friends, um, you know, and again, just immersed myself in like their identities, went to college, did the same thing, joined a sorority where I was like, I think I was one of three people of color. And I really thought that like I had fooled everybody that nobody noticed I was brown. Like literally like, you know. Wait, it, you're brown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like that, that's why I said I wasn't so nice. Like I would actually like kind of just float around life thinking that I was a better version of a brown person because I had figured out how to like fly under the radar wait wait i'm not gonna let you throw yourself under the bus without me joining in yes why did you just <laughs> describe my whole oh god uh what it no offense to white people they're so lovely like i there's so many one it's not even a type of person white people it doesn't even mean anything Social I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, why did I want to be like, like what, what's wrong with me? Why? Yeah. And now I, th I said, obviously now if like, if this was a meditation class, I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Okay. I know there's nothing wrong with me, but that's a very scary way to think. Like, I'm like, Hmm, like, what's wider I'll do that like yeah. it like that doesn't I'm not saying I actually thought that but subconsciously that's essentially the, the like 
I don't know. I'm yeah. just, I don't know how to fully dive under the bus with you because there's too much embarrassing stuff to say, but um, yes, please continue. Yeah, no, and it is, it's embarrassing, but I actually, I share it just in an effort to hopefully touch some people that feel like you felt, you know, that yeah. they're, because uh, I know that I'm not the only one that people have said that before, like, how, how did you just <laughs> like describe my childhood? But yeah, and so I, I really, I had this mindset and it's just mortifying to share, but like, I really thought I was a better, I was a better, smarter brown person. Like, you know, because other, um, like I'll refer to, to myself as Chicana as well, because that's how I, I identify, you know, when Hispanic, Mexican, those Chicana is what I prefer, but I thought I was a better, smarter native. I was a better, smarter Chicana because I had figured out how to be white and get out of all of the inequity and stuff that they were faced with. So that must've been like meant that I was a, a, a better version of, I'm dying. of that. And, I'm and dying. I, I, I walked around so with that out. kind of, Oh, I'm dying. I, I walked around with a lot of arrogance, though, and maybe that's the difference between you and I is that you didn't like wear it as a prize. Like maybe you were grateful that people didn't know that Heather was brown, or maybe yeah. you walked around thinking, haha, how silly of you all, you haven't noticed. Yes, I was pretty, I was pretty secretive. I wasn't like, I don't know though. To be honest, I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad. Yeah. It's just it's it's weird that even even the way I speak or the way my brain has adapted to speak, like because I speak Urdu and then my English sounds a certain way because of the Urdu and I can let it sound that way, but over time through post nine eleven north america and traveling i was like oh if i sound like this i get harassed by this type of person so i should probably not sound like this it's just like it's that code switching thing but it's not really i'm not do i'm not doing it because i want to get along with the person better i'm doing it out of survival and then that's not really pleasant to think of like yeah. it's a scary like, why do I have to sound like this for you to assume that my internal dialogue is as competent as yours? Like, doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. And so that's that. And I think that that is what you're describing now is where the where the story turns. And so I had a great time, Um, like my like in high school and college, like my uh, that was fun. And I felt like I was able to infiltrate these circles and that because I had infiltrated them, my life was going to be great. I was going to have the American dream. Was, and then college was over and I was then faced with the same inequity and discrimination and, uh, as every other person of color, like I just, I wasn't, I, I wasn't able to get a job as quickly as I had thought I would. Um, I got in a uh, car accident that really left me with no car um, or transportation to like be able to easily uh, find work. 
And so I ended up having to learn to take the bus. The car accident was traumatic enough that I had like even told myself that like once I could get enough money together for a car and to take care of any of the like fines and things that had ensued from just this very complicated situation that um, I didn't need to drive. I didn't want to drive anymore. So then I learned how to be on the bus system. But that meant that like my work had to be really kind of convenient and close to me. So the degree I had received like really wasn't, uh, I, it wasn't valuable to me at the time because I couldn't actually, I, I backtracked a little bit because I hadn't even completely finished my degree. I had a couple of credits left to do before all of this stuff happened. And so I had to take um, a really like a uh, low level job in early childhood education. So I became like a preschool teacher aide. I was on the bus um, going to work at this place where I felt very overqualified for, but it's what I could do. And I'm grateful for that time because that's where I was exposed to a whole different group of people. Um, and I'm being on the bus system exposed me to a whole different group of people and, and people's real life problems. Like the things that I thought were hard in life were nothing compared to, to the people that I had started coming in contact with because I had to take such, um, you know, such a lower paying job than I had intended. I lived in the worst apartment. Like it had no central heating. It had no washer dryer on site. Um, it, it had a swamp cooler when my boss you know, caught wind of like that. I had no washer dryer on site and I was really struggling to get my laundry to the laundry mat with no car. She was kind enough to start picking me up on certain days, taking me with my laundry so that I could wash my laundry there at the school. And that was an act of kindness that just blew my mind. I think so then being in that position and seeing other little acts of kindness, I started to recognize that there was just a different side of life that I had had the privilege of never having to experience it. But because I have been, I've been fortunate enough to walk many different lives. I know that we're all intertwined and that for us to, to get through this really tough life, it, we have to do it together. And so I think that that's where the kindness comes in is that I've been able to be many, many versions of Elaine. So, yeah. So now I have to ask, since you've been all these versions and you've come to this one, do you think, and this is just your current like feeling, are you here for like a specific reason? Like, I mean, this is like weird, but like, do you exist to do something specific or do you feel like we're all just here to be alive do you feel like we're supposed to be kind to each other is there like a spiritual purpose to things where do you stand on that yeah yeah no i don't that's i don't completely have the answer to that but i definitely know that i'm not here just for this existence to experience this for myself and then, you know, go on to, I guess, maybe another, another version of me somewhere in there. I think that I have recognized somewhere in here that like that, that I, even though I call myself Elaine, I'm still just like the, 
and the embodiment of the molecules that are also header and we are we are one we are one being together we're just in these skin suits that keep us apart and so my job is to do what i can to be able to improve your existence and anybody else who like the creator puts in my path okay so now this is getting interesting now that you're not that it wasn't before but now that you're saying <laughs> that we're the same person this seems like so this exists within and i don't know i use this word i say indigenous spirituality but what i mean is when we go back in all cultures no matter and then when i start naming them people are like well actually they have nine gods and it's like yes they <laughs> do but everyone describes like a unifying source like all the nine slash 19 slash 42 slash one they're all made from like the same kind of thing so have you come to this belief from like some people would say like oh she sounds like she did mushrooms someone else would say like or, or like oh like this is a new age person like what is causing you to think that you and me and your coworkers and your kids are are also you and you're not separate from them uh, that's an, another long answer. And like I mentioned before, I was raised in Catholicism and that didn't make sense to me. Like I didn't understand how a God who loved us so much could just want to just in, induce so much fear um, and uncertainty in beings. And so when I went to college, I decided to take world religion. And so I had some very some minimal exposure to religions but it made me understand that they all seem to have the same premise it's just like geographically like their interpretation of the story or what fit their societies is kind of how how their their gods manifested and so that was very interesting so then once i um uh once i i found a need to really go to school and and have a, you know, a job for a source of income to pay my rent and buy my beer and all the things that college kids do. I went and I, uh, I got a job at a metaphysical bookstore. And so I was, I worked the, you know, up at the front counter. I also like learned to read tarot, met some really amazing psychics and healers. And, um, and they, they thought that I would make a really great reader so I was a tarot card reader uh and you know kind of spiritual advisor for oh I think it was like two years or so so I learned a lot from them um I I learned Reiki I went to massage school for a while like I just I that was a really interesting part of my life just to uh, from massage school I learned about um you know really like uh Chinese medicine, things like that, some of those philosophies. And so again, my idea of the world expanded. And, and I think just recently, as I just do my own reflections about life, like these messages come to me that, that we are blinded or at least we've forgotten old ways. And when I acknowledge that, 
then I seem to get stronger messages about not forgetting that, that the old ways still exist and that they existed for centuries before our civilization and they worked back then. And so even though people might laugh at you and, um, and think it's kind of metaphysical and just out there that, that that's just the, it's colonized minds that, that don't want us to remember that there, there were other ways that worked and they worked without causing so much harm. So, okay, when you, we'll call it your intuition, as you're, we're just going to pretend I'm asking for advice for a general populace, even though you're, I'm not saying you're saying that you want to give out this advice, but intuitively, if someone wants, if someone's in the place you were at when you were, is there a version of, because we talked, this is, that was a very specific way to talk about decolonization when you and I talked about wanting to be white or appear that way. But I feel like sometimes um, white people or pale-skinned humans, whatever their ethnicity may be, feel like they don't have a chance to decolonize or that they didn't have an indigenous way. And I'm noticing that there is all people at one point were decolonized. There were no colonies at some point, hopefully. Unless, I don't know. Anyway, we won't talk about the aliens yet. Um, <laughs> so what would you tell someone, regardless of their ethnicity, on if someone wants to start decolonizing, what is the lowest energy act they can do? Like, what is the thing that takes the least effort? And I know that's like kind of a cop out because it should take, you should want to put effort. But I'm noticing that with like, just like with, with my son or other kids who I, I know now who are like 10, 11, they're completely different than like a 10 or 11 year old 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So I feel like even the act of decolonizing sounds to people like it requires some kind of massive immediate action and they have to go like roll around in the mud naked but it would be good for them probably but they don't have to but i'm wondering do you have a small step that someone can take towards that process or even like dipping their toes in it yeah you ask such big questions well <laughs> go on i don't know <laughs> the, this this is our first one so it'll be like a little serious and then slowly this will devolve to just like us talking about your childhood favorite cartoons like <laughs> <laughs> you know I think when when we talk about colonization and we talk about like white culture it really is just a way to talk about dominant culture, to talk about patriarchy, to talk about the, the fact that there is, there are people in spaces that are, I mean, to me, really kind of the, the puppeteers of our decision-making are the way that like, you know, we, uh, 
that we experience the world. And I think understanding that and like letting go of some of this, like, you know, maybe that it's some sort of conspiracy theory or that that in itself is, is a good step to realize that like, you know, these celebrities that we idolize, the, the, the government that we pledge allegiance to, that none of them have the intentions for us that mutual aid has, you know, that, that if we like turn over like all of, all of our power and that we strive to be like them, to have better lives, that there's nothing on the other side of that, that what we do need to do is lean on each other and that 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 is one of the ways that we can be happier. I think that in itself is decolonizing. I think that when we talk about people that don't feel that they have an indigenous identity, it is because they, you know, somewhere in there, their ancestors took a boat to get here and this is where they live now. And that's like, you know, uh, no fault of their own, but I think recognizing that they are guests here and that you can truly give land back. You can give it back to the indigenous people. And, and I, you know, I don't know if like, I can't speak for everyone saying that, you know, you could give it back to the indigenous people and they're not gonna send you home. Who knows, maybe that's not, but I think like there are many that, that would, uh, you know, would gladly say stay here and like just learn to do things the way that we do them. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that it would, if we did so, it would, it would start to heal our land. And with that, we would learn how to be able to more securely, um, you know, provide and grow food. Um, I think that there would be uh, better conditions for our atmosphere because, you know, we wouldn't have so much, like things would get better land would start to heal, the earth would start to heal. Um, and I think that's what I mean, like by saying that there's other ways that people have forgotten and they don't need to know our ways. They just need to be open to hearing them and then giving them a try to see if maybe it, it works and that we don't have to be like so destined to, to just doom and gloom because of the path that we're currently on. I think that's that's like such a good easy first step to just realize what's going on. But when you said, because I'm addressing the first point that you brought up, and then we can go to the second. But if you if someone was to say like, okay, how can you prove that society isn't just governed by uh, democratic decisions and um sorry was i still recording or did i cut out no you're still here okay my dad called me oh because <laughs> i called him earlier and he was in the bathroom then he called me i was in the bathroom so there's a lot of bathroom calls yeah <laughs> but, um so what were we talking So you said that democratic decisions was the last one. Yes. That I okay. Heard. okay. Okay. Yes. So how do we, how do you prove to someone 
or what is the indicator that society is governed by things outside of the decisions of the everyday person like where would someone look because you you seem pretty rational you don't seem like a crazy person even though you're not in a coffee shop and i'm scared <laughs> what, like what's in your room that's so scary like what did you do in there you know like it's a lot of clothes okay that's and I distracting that's... clothes <laughs> okay i'm just uh, we we need to discuss messiness and what it means also because i don't know i'm pretty messy wait this is you the know best. that's so see that that right there is a step towards decolonization hitter because you were willing to show me that like it's still my colonized mindset that won't let you see what's behind me because my societal what my understanding of societal norms is is that i'm supposed to look wealthy i'm supposed to have nice things behind me and i don't and i'm still embarrassed about that so truly you, that you always look wealthy elaine you oh look my. rich <laughs> oh no i i'm so i'm i'm so what? poor and I, <laughs> I don't want people to know it uh, does I feel like that's basically we just explain the whole thing if anyone what like I guess I guess a good way since we're talking about wealth a good way to see who the puppeteers may be or what actually sways government policy is to follow the money yeah, like yeah. see where the majority of funds are concentrated on earth and it's just a few people yeah, and that, that is a great answer because I didn't know how I was going to answer that one, but I completely agree. And it's so funny because like I will just make, I'll make jokes about why I have my green screen up, but really what it comes down to is that I know that if I show you what's behind the green screen, you will see like how simply I live and like, and then people may start judging my intelligence so they'll start to devaluize what it is that I have to say, because now in their minds, they're thinking that intelligent people that have worthy things to share are wealthy people. And so then for or, you to take me seriously, I have to hide that. Yeah. And if you're not wealthy, then at least you, you have the time to decorate your room, to make it ready for the very important podcast okay we should eventually unveil your room after we've established that that your 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 brokenness has nothing to do with your our brokenness has nothing to do with our spiritual value or our otherwise value yeah okay we can work towards uh, that that will be one like day. yeah yeah. We can just do both of us can do the podcast from the same location and just in from a pile of clothes. <laughs> we can just we can have people bring trash and pile it up and we can sit in it. Yes. Decolonized okay. dude. Mm -hmm. Um so at what age did you I guess start stepping into your ethnic identity would you say like not a specific age but like around what time um, I would say like 
in the last five years and I'm 46 now. It's, a, it's, it's been a very long road. So would you, so, and you're very open about that, but other people obviously once they decolonize, once they find, have a spiritual awakening or whatever the thing is that happens to them, they act like they've always been that way. And, or they act like it's something that's always been a part of them and they've been like fighting it. But that is true. Like some people do fight it. Like they're aware that they're different and they put it away. So would you say that, did you have to fight it? Like, did you have impulses to just be yourself and then hold yourself back? Or do you think it was just like, you were just in one mode and not really fluctuating back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, when we talk about like, uh, you know, that younger us that, that had learned to just exist as a dark white person, um, that that's really the majority of my life experience was with that mindset. Like I really did. I, I just smashed down anything that might have like, you know, bubbled up from, from my DNA, you know, in regards to my indigeneity, like I, I get most of my care and I have for most of my life from um, IHS Indian Health Services. And, and so I do some storytelling, um, you know, in, in the early childhood education uh, community where people invite me to talk about what it was like to be a little one struggling with identity. And so I can remember, I can remember being very young and needing to go to the um, Indian Health Service, uh, the medical center where I'm from, and just being very confused about like why I had to be there because I wasn't like those people, you know, and, and it was clinic environment. And so there would be very, there'd be very large, you know, native people, some of them with amputated legs because of diabetes. I remember are like the chairs in the lobby were double sized to accommodate the size of most of the patients that would be coming in. And I was, I'm, I was, I was so scared. I was small. I was scared. I was like, you know, and I was like, if that's what it means to be a native person, that's not me. I, I don't want that to be me. And so that I blocked out that my native identity. I was just like, you're not, because that is going to equal you with one leg and a very large body. So no, that's, we're going to, mm. we're going to just forget about that. And so, and then, you know, being, being a Chicana person on the border, having the migrant population come in into the town like even the like the the Mexican or the you know however anybody identified there the people that lived in town would discriminate against the migrant fire workers that would come in and you know so and so we were always like classifying like we were just in different classes of like better versions of a Mexican person like in, you know so I spent more time focusing on how I was better than other people than to hear, to hear like the little voices that might be telling me that there were, there were things about myself that I, that I was forgetting because I would just be like, yeah, I'm forgetting you just stay down there because I was doing it on purpose. 
it's it's weird how it, I just I guess it gets dark because like I thought of the cause of my but like well Pakistan hasn't been out of colonization long like it didn't start existing till 1948 1947 like so I feel like I'm just like from what I saw that was shown in the media I'm like, well, I definitely don't want to be that. And in Western media, the depiction of Pakistan, East Asian people, South Asian people is kind of horrible until recently. And now we're kind of finally not the villain or the nerd or Apu. So things are getting better. But And there's no harm in being any of those things, obviously. I'm all of them at once. I'm so... I understand, but it's just like, it's not that I don't want to always talk about it and always think about it. But when we look at like the fact that we live here and I'm speaking very, we'll be, we'll use clinical language about this. The country's intelligence agencies have outwardly release documents that I post on Instagram all the time that willing, like they admit to willingly experimenting on the population with psychedelic drugs and various other mind altering practices to make a more subservient human. And I feel like, and then those same techniques are employed by media. And I don't mean like they're not brainwashing people with like by beating us in the head, but using like certain imagery, just basic things that we use in marketing as well. Like it's how you sell more Pepsi and more Diet Coke. Like it's nothing fancy or magical. Maybe it's magical, but um, (laughs) we're living in the, the thing. So I don't know how not to talk about it because colonization isn't, it's not necessarily like, like when I'm talking to a Dutch person or let's say an Irish person and then someone who's like you, um, we're all just talking. And then the idea of decolonizing ourselves comes from this weird, like not where it's not just that races have been um, segregated and ethnicities have forgotten their cultures, but now it's like even humans like we've lost our it's like spiritual colonization as well like some people don't even think they have a soul or they have a non-physical component so it seems to go beyond even like taking someone's culture from them it's like our base biology is even taught to us differently and that's what's getting confusing to me like people understanding themselves in a completely weird way i don't know I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just, I'm confused because lately now I saw this article, I think it was in Scientific American or America, whatever it's called. And I was like, oh, people can actually be on the same wavelength according to science. And then it's, uh, and now like oncologists are telling cancer patients like, hey, like you should meditate. It does this, it does that. It's like, so now that there's empirical proof 
or some kind of utility. Now the regu regulators and governments are getting involved in that too. So I'm getting worried that like there, that's also getting commoditized or colonized or whatever. How do you feel about this? Agreed. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. I think that was a really great explanation. I, I, you know, it's so funny because I, the other day was talking to a friend about like ayahuasca and they hadn't heard of it before. I was trying to give just like a really brief description of what the, and then after that, like I just caught so many like Facebook like pop-ups about ayahuasca, <laughs> like, you know, like ayahuasca, like retreats that were hosted by white people and then like started to get things, you know, just psychedelics and then started to get like how you could mail in order like psilocybin for like mental health treatment. And like, I, it's, yeah, co they're colonizing plant medicine too now and they're it's making it their own idea. I'm so glad you said this because honestly, I'm about like, this is actually turning into a point of argument for me on the internet. I, I was on this other, this podcast. Um, it's called like Ascension of the Chessmen. I think it's a, the guy's really nice. Uh, the host Dre, I believe, but I may be like his Andre. Midi. I don't know. I'm saying it wrong. But anyway, the podcast was good. But then I noticed a lot of the guests were white people talking about plant medicine. I was like, this is interesting. Nothing bad about it again. Then I started looking at those white people's profiles. And the comments were all these other big profiles that were also white people, couples, women, men, plant medicine specialists. And it's like, it's, it's inappropriate. It's like, it's not uh, like, it's like me teaching people what it's like to be a black man in America. I really don't know. I can't know. No matter how much I try to know, I'll never know. And it's like, it's like, okay, if you do, some, like you have a master's in biochem and you do a few big shroom trips, how is that a sh shaman path and how is it and how are we and when it's and then people are like but you know there's no path we all have different paths no you can't use our own thing against us by saying that everyone has a different path and that your path is through the institution and then through bizarre like having the privilege to be able to do mushrooms and not have the police uh see like have anything to do i don't know it's just like i'm at the point where now i feel like i have to comment on each of those profiles and say oh cool i notice you are white <laughs> like just like not in a bad way i like that they're they're helping people create neuroplasticity and neurogenesis in their brains and everyone will be better for it but it is we it's like uh it's like someone lip syncing it's like milli vanilli yeah. It's like literally that, like they're literally standing in, and then, sorry, now this is getting a little ranty, but someone was like, oh, um, 
have you like explained something to me? And then goes, oh yeah, have you heard of Ramdas? He's an Indian author. And I was like, yo, yeah, I thank you. I'll look into it. And I just let it go. Then I'm like, so there are people going around thinking that Richard Alpert, who was a Harvard student or whatever Ivy League school they were in that they got kicked out of and they were doing LSD at, I'm pretty sure it was Harvard. And then he goes to India and changes his name to Ramdas and teaches Hindu traditions in English. And, and I'm just like, what's happened? It's fine, but it's questionable that the same thing, like just because it's not using guns and um, it's using a more potent weapon, which is love and spirituality. It's like, it's, I don't know. And I don't think that we will ever like in, in this present time, I don't think that we will ever get to experience plant medicine the way that we, that our ancestors did, because even, even the, um, the industry has taken it and commercialized it and synthesized it and turned it into something that that it chemically that it it, it was never intended to be and so i i really feel like the that the spirit of the plants have changed and so what we are experiencing now is the plant that has been manipulated disrespected and so so I think that, that that's some of the reasons that we're not seeing the, the true benefits of some of this because they've been colonized um, and because they've been, they've been abused on some level. I mean, when we think about just cannabis and the way that they're able to just manipulate it, you know, the, the same thing with when we are growing, you know, mushrooms and you can do it like by treating it with, you know, what, whatever, you know, machines and systems and chemicals that you can to get the perfect mushroom like I don't know how much that's changing the plant itself too because no you're definitely right like I you sorry keep going oh no I was just I plants I think many cultures We'll say that there were a time where plants could speak to us because people are like, how did you know you can have that plant and it would, you know, make you feel better, but don't have this plant because it will poison you. Like, yeah, of course, trial and error maybe, but I also, there's a part of me that feels that we were on a level where we could communicate with plants and animals and they, they saw that we had a need and they took pity on us and they showed us about their power. We're constantly just taking their power now. So at what point are did they just stop being so willing to help us? I think it happened a long time ago. And so that's why we see a lot of things like, you know, people having bad reactions and, you know, it's, and it's been criminalized. And so the repercussion of trying to take it to heal, like my, and wind you up in jail. So there's just so much trauma that is surrounding our plant medicines now too. It's, it's interesting that you said the, you brought up cannabis because the I bring this up to people all the time. And obviously this isn't 
we'll go in three sentences. Cannabis contains cannabinoids. And when there's the right combination of cannabinoids in a cannabis plant that you consume, you experience a positive effect in general. And that positive effect, because of the the group of cannabinoids working together in your body, is called the entourage effect. We'll just say this. And this is applicable to other substances and medicine, like also in medical treatment, when they use three or four medicines, this is the same thing. But I'm just, I'm noticing that they're pushing the THC vector so hard on the plant's evolution that now these, and this is going to sound kind of coming from a male viewpoint, I don't know how relatable this is, but if you look at cannabis plants from the 40s or, and they have older pictures of like cannabis from like other parts of the world, it looks a certain way. Now it looks completely unrealistic. It looks, it looks very nice. It looks beautiful and alluring almost. Like you can't stop, you're like, what is this? But it's similar to the vector that's being, that's women have been pushed in. And the patriarchy pushes almost everything in the same direction of maximum feeling and minimum like consideration. So like if you look at, and this is weird, but I was looking at the difference between cannabis plants and the difference between fashion and the difference between food, everything's going in the same direction. Like food is like more sodium, more MSG, more sugar because those create the feedback loops that our brain needs. For TV, it's like shorter programming, binge watching, streaming. So I feel like it's the same direction. And with mushrooms, it's now it's like, oh, this is the craziest mushroom ever. Like there doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Like it's like, I don't know, even, and I think it's the same now. Ketamine is another thing that people are just like, taking ketamine throughout the day yeah. like they're just like that's shocking to me that's they're like well it's a psychedelic like yes but it's made in a lab like mm-hmm. you should really think about like i don't know i don't know where I'm, but i guess i'm not against certain people in plant medicine because they have access to certain platforms and institutions that other people may not but it is just a dark trend to see ironically calling it dark but um, it's it's a weird thing to watch and to watch like people do it with audacity like they're not like tentative about it they're not like yeah actually these mushrooms were originally done by these people then my people came and massacred them but since we still live here we found these and we're or something like that. I'm not, I'm obviously making it sound, no one would say it like that, but hopefully a way that's like somewhat humbler, like coming from a place where you know where they got the information from. I don't know. Yeah. And even if they did say it in that way, I think that that's a wonderful effort. And And that's like, land acknowledgements and things like that they always say like as you're building them like don't don't try to pretty it up like if your people came and massacred those people on that land you you know i think saying it and 
and honoring the fact that now I'm here and I've been exposed to this plant medicine and I am grateful uh, and I'm sorry for, you know, the whatever uh, historically the path that brought me here. And I hope that like with the knowledge I receive from this plant medicine, I will do better. I think that intention would be so powerful. I'm glad you said it because I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I guess I'm scared to be the angry brown guy archetype, which I shouldn't be because I'm not angry. I'm just saying stuff. Yeah. But I'm I get so very worried about it. So it's funny when you say that I'm always so kind and um, underneath it, I'm, I'm an angry brown woman. <laughs> but that makes sense. I guess that's where we should keep it under the surface and then it should drive the kindness maybe. It's a good use for it. I don't know. But, um, okay. When we talk about mixed fit, and I guess also <laughs> we're going to wrap up soon-ish because, okay. yes, I'm, I'm doing good though. I managed to, we started on time, which I don't usually do. And I also usually like forget to like 15 minutes before and then make the person coming on feel horrible that I forgot. But I don't, I just, the Apple calendar isn't enough to remind me of any time past like 10 minutes from now. I only think in 10 minutes, like it's not good, but it's what I can do. Um, with dance, is that, do you feel, because obviously we call like we refer to Mixfit, that's the dance format you teach, uh -huh. which yeah. there will be a link to your stuff after this but or in the description but do you feel an ethnic connection to dance as a group process or do you feel like that's like purely something modern that you're participating in oh no yeah no um i think that the ceremony of dance is one of the reasons that group fit people are so drawn to group fitness like whether they uh, can connect the dots or not, like there is something I think so metaphysical about dancing together, like in unison um, and everybody like releasing all those great neurochemicals and, you know, putting out all of, all of their good energies. I feel like it can be very healing to the group. Um, and so people will try to describe like why they enjoy it um, in various ways. But in the end, I think it always comes down to that is that there's something in their DNA that just really draws, draws them to, to dance collectively. I think even for people that like, you know, don't have, uh, that aren't so closely tied to their culture where they can trace it back pretty quickly. Like, you know, in, even in recent years, this particular community still, you know, dances in ceremony for this. Maybe you're not part of that and your ancestors are in Europe somewhere. You can still do research and likely find that there was a time where your people danced together, you know, to either ensure a good crop or to mourn the loss of, of a loved one. Or So I think that I've, I've always known that, like going into it is why I sought out um, doing some sort of group fitness because I wanted community so badly. Um, 
the type of dance we do is um is interesting because it's not normally music that I listen to in my car um it's a lot of just kind of pop pop music a lot of like uh female rappers things like that and and, uh, and I enjoy that we can create safe spaces where women that are like in their 40s or 50s, you know, and, and up can be okay getting ratchet and like experimenting with dance, like twerking and stuff like that, that is really actually super healing somatically too. Like if I can get a 50 year old woman to be willing to like try, try to twerk, like the the amount of joy once they master it and the freedom that I can like see that is happening in them when they do it. I think that there is something that's happening that's activating in their DNA that's helping them heal. I don't say it out loud because people just, there's no time for me to have conversations like that with the group, but I know that it's happening. Like, you know, when I'm watching them and their dynamic as like, as a, as a collective I don't know what I was going to say. I got too into the conversation. <laughs> it was about ah, group dance, people dancing, ensure a good crop. I'm trying to remember. Okay. So I don't remember the question, but when you're speaking about this, the idea of like women dancing and feeling free, what, what, and I'm, this is a slightly a rhetorical question. I also said what very loudly, sorry. Um, what do you think is the cause of a woman in modern day in 2023? So if they're 50, they would be from the, from, from the 70s. They would have been born in the 70s, yeah. maybe. So, Early 70s. so what makes that woman not dance regularly? what what were do you think because i feel like it's that is also colonization when a when someone of that uh vintage on earth feels like they you have to free them and i respect you obviously i love that you're doing it for them but then we also have to wonder like why is it like why can't you and those women do that in the street without any kind of a repercussion or any kind of issue or anyone saying that you're uh, uh, grooming their children or something bizarre I don't know yeah I think it just it, I think what it comes down to is just the like you know objectification really it's like it women are so sexualized and and I think according to to our society, we dance to for the benefit of men. We dance to arouse men. Um, you know, that might be one reason. Um, sometimes I feel like that's the only reason, you know, and so no one wants to see an old body dancing. And so then it's like once you leave uh, you know, the once you leave the the maiden stage of life where you're no longer in you know your 20s and 30s and and everything is uh where it's supposed to be at least according to society <laughs> um, you're making me sad this conversation <laughs> is and why so did that, i start yeah. this 
Yeah. And, and so like once, once your body is no longer appealing to watch, then you shouldn't do it. What is the use? Nobody wants to see that, you know? And so I think that that's a message that we receive and that it's not okay to do some of the dances that I teach in my class because those are young people's dances meant to do, meant to be performed by a young, attractive body. And, um, and so if you choose to do that, you are, you're, you're fighting, you're fighting age and we're supposed to age gracefully, unless we are from a, a place of privilege where we can afford to have, um, you know, to have some medical interventions in there. But, you know, if you can't afford it, you just age gracefully, you go, you take care of your family, uh, you are no longer a sexual being, and there's no reason to celebrate you. So, so take a seat. I feel like that is the messages that we receive as women for most of our lives. And would you say that, like, I guess a good way to fight against that if someone were to feel that they're being oppressed or repressed or held back in some way, a safe space to like open up is group dance. I for sure. I'm most of the time group dance for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, at least in the classes I teach, we're able to shut the door and there's other like locations where like they're in a gym and it's like a whole wall full of windows. But in my spaces, we can shut the door and no one, no one can see us, but us. And they can just experiment however they want. And sometimes it's baby steps and it takes weeks. And sometimes they come in, I mean, with guns blazing and they just let it go. And that's amazing too. So yeah, just uh, finding um, a class, they might not find it right away, but going and checking out different ones where, where, where the instructor creates a container where that is that that is one of the priorities and that happens to be mine so would you like to before I end horribly and like it takes 10 extra seconds to end and I'm pressing the <laughs> button. before that do you if people want to find you for whatever reason good reasons though if they want to find you for a bad reason they can uh uh we can meet them at a at a at a Walmart parking lot. Okay. <laughs> it seems indigenous to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a bad way. It just seems like a lot of business and things happen in Walmart parking lots, like so 4th of July funny. fireworks. Yeah. Also, the yeah. fireworks people are in the parking lot. The Girl Scouts are in the parking lot. The those kids with the fake basketball team, they're in the parking lot. And I, I also buy their chocolate though. I don't care that it's not real. And you know, like when I'm like, so if somebody wanted to do harm, I feel like meeting in the parking lot of Walmart would not be a safe space because I don't feel like we as two brown people could get the help we needed, um, you know? Hey. I would feel more comfortable meeting like at, at a park where I knew a lot of the unsheltered population are, you know, hey, are that, resting. That sounds, that sounds like a, sorry, I thought you said a place where you knew the unsheltered population. I was like, ah, you're, you're planning this out. Uh, no, well, I don't, 
I don't know them personally, but if I knew where they were, you know, finding shade, maybe resting and that there, that there were like, you know, going to be uh, a large, uh, a large group of unsheltered, I feel like that would be a safer space because I feel more confident that they would come and try to intervene and help and protect us than in the Walmart parking lot where we might actually have access to police. Why is this an actual, I, it's great. I'm laughing, but I'm laughing because you're not joking. No, I'm not. That's (laughs) why it's, uh. I have been, I've been helped or rescued. I would even go so far as saying by more unsheltered people than I, I have actually felt safe asking the police for help. So that, yeah. So that's speaking from personal experience. Yeah, I've I've had a crime committed against me and the police asked me, uh, so have you do you have any disp- ongoing disputes? Like what am I? Like am I a am I a company with a legal department? Like why do I have ongoing disputes? Like I don't live on I don't know. I don't have like family feuds. Like I don't I'm, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm <laughs> Who knows? Maybe this podcast just created some. But where do people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Oh, uh, Instagram is the easiest way. Um, really, it is. I'm constantly checking it. So I am, um, I'm a slave to Instagram. They can find me there. Hey, you need to watch your daily screen time, okay? <laughs> three hours yes. a day three hours okay what are are you at more than three hours a day be probably, honest probably probably yeah I'm at four hours and 38 minutes I'm trying oh to get gosh. it down but I can't I can't oh. break 438 I keep getting stuck there some days I have zero but then I can't do like I can't do like I seem to not be able to do less than three hours and the pickups, there's so many pickups. Why am I picking it up so much? I know. I know. Am I like, it's, it's, it's become an extension of, yeah. Like I feel like I'm completely like I'm forgot to put on a piece of clothing. If I don't, if I can't grab it right away. It's weird. This was awesome, by the way. Um, really? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> no honestly we where I feel like we went into the deep serious water very fast and not the personal story and that's fine because I want to do this again obviously and that's the point and we I asked you to do this like six months ago or seven months ago and I'm very bad at scheduling I admit but but we did it actually from the virtual what is this virtual coffee shop's name we should name it oh this is this is jared's coffee is the actual coffee shop but if we want to give it another name let's think about it it should have we should have a whole you should end up like photoshopping a guy into it eventually I think there's a whole story. There's a guy already. Do you see him? Oh my God. (laughs) And then the artist formerly known as Prince, he's there in the window. That's why I like it too, because I'm a big fan. Prince was ahead of his time. Yeah. Yes. 
I feel like Prince would was would be much needed right now in the current uh, earth. Yes. Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. I feel, and I'm not. I feel like everything would be different if Prince was around. I, I, feel I like, yeah. Yeah. I wake up every morning and actually say that to myself. That's no, not really, but yes, I agree. I agree. Oh, uh, thank you for doing this. Yeah. I will. We'll schedule again, and it won't be six months from now, hopefully. Okay. Okay. And then well, we can, because we need to talk more about how you got here. Because somehow you grew up Catholic, and now you told me that you and I have the same soul. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. Where that's these questions are hard. I yeah. So it will take a couple of times, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm going to try to press stop recording. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.